6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 1 Kings, chapters 20 through 22. Okay, we're in the final session of 1 Kings. By the way, there's nothing magic between 1 and 2 Kings. It was just the length of the scroll. The, the scrolls were just cut because they got unmanageable. So it's not as if there's a huge, profound difference in First and Second Kings. Uh, in fact, uh, all four of them, First, uh, first and Second Samuel, First and Second Anyway, the, it's, it's, there's nothing profound. Anyway, we're going to finish the first section of First Kings. We're in chapters 20, 21, and 22. And uh, again, by way of review, we have uh, Israel going from bad to worse, finally into uh, oblivion. Southern Kingdom going from bad to worse in general with a few good kings uh, showing some exceptional performance, but still they all want to go into the Babylonian captivity. But uh, we've been through Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and the various kings. uh, And again, we're going to be dealing primarily with uh, Jehoshaphat in the final years of Ahab and a little bit there with uh, Ahaziah. And uh, so let's go in 1 Kings 20. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him. It's quite an assembly. And horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria. Now when he says Samaria, that's the capital of the northern kingdom. So he's in effect uh, seeking control of the whole northern kingdom. And he warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and gold is mine. Thy wives also, and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. King of Israel answered and said, My Lord, O King, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. So Ahab, you know, looks over the wall, realizes he's outnumbered, he's in big, big trouble. So he gives in. He's gonna, he's gonna yield to this outrageous request. And, uh, this is gonna be the first of three battles that, uh, are recorded in 1 Kings between Ahab and Ben Hadad. The second, it's actually Ben Hadad the second. Uh, that's Israel's northernmost, uh, uh, neighbor. This is definitely the son of Ben-Hadid the first. That's the guy that Asa had hired to attack Basha some years earlier, back in chapter 15, you may recall. Now we had 32 kings with him, but these are probably kings of city-states that are allied with the Syrians there. So he's got him under siege, and he's and, and Ahab uh, you know, says, okay, I'll go along with that. Then uh, messengers came again, and thus speaketh Ben-Hadid, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver, thy gold, thy, li- thy wives, and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant to thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. You get the impression of Ben-Hadid, so, you know, he never wants to, he, he accepted Ben-Hadid's first offer too easily. Ben-Hadid said, by the way, I want to just go through and get anything else I want. The king of Israel called the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives and my children and for my silver and for my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders and all the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. 
Wherefore he sent unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that thou didst send for to thy servant at the first, I will do. But this thing I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again, and Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. <laughs> well, our equivalent to that is, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch, is sort of an equivalent expression we use in, in our, in our uh, vernacular. And uh, so, in other words, you should not boast of victory until you obtain it, is what he's suggesting. And it came to pass, when Ben-Hadad heard this message, he was drinking. He and the kings in the pavilions, and he's, that he said unto his servants, Set yourselves in array. And they set themselves in array against the city. In other words, they go up against him. Negotiations obviously had broken down. And, and so, obviously, he was... Uh, and his, and his kings were under the influence of strong drink in any case. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, the king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Now this is kind of, in some respects, surprising. Because here's Ahab, he's a bad news guy. But he is in trouble. And God, for his own reasons, chooses to give Ahab the victory. And uh, there's all we can only we can conjecture uh, all the reasons. Um, it would seem that the God is going to uh, express His goodness on this occasion, not because of Ahab's goodness or godliness or anything like that, but be, by but just by the grace of God. And this is probably one of God's steps in attempting to get the people to acknowledge that He is the Lord. That's the common theme that ties this all together. And so this prophet doesn't tell us who it is. He came a prophet. There's a, there, anyway, uh, I'll deliver it in thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? He said, Thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces. And he said, And who shall order the battle? And he answered, Thou. Who's going to lead these guys? You are king. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Then he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and there were 232. And after them, he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. That's military types, not total population. And they went out at noon. But Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, and he and the kings and the 32 kings that helped him. And the young men of the princes of the province went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out, and they told him, saying, There are men come out of Samaria. And he said, Whether they be come, whether they be come out for peace, take them alive. And whether they be come out for war, take them alive. So these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city and the army which followed them, and they slew every one his man. And the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and the chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. So God delivered Ahab a huge, huge victory. Okay. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go, strengthen thyself, and mark, and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they are stronger than we. Let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. 
And do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in their rooms, and number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, and chariot for chariot. We will fight against them in this plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. This is going to be a second attempt at all of this. And it came to pass at the turn of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up against uh, up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And uh, I don't think we have a... a a certain notion where Aphek uh, is. Uh, this would be the spring about 856 B.C., by the way. Uh, there are several towns that bore the name. It means a fortress, as the word means. That's what makes it. And this one may have been located on the tablelands east of the Sea of Galilee between Syria and Damascus, Damascus being north and east. And uh, so it's probably up in the Syrian region, if you will, Golan Heights maybe. And uh, so there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude in thy hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So again, God is going to give him a victory to prove who's really, you know, my God is bigger than your God kind of thing. Um, and they pitched one over against the other seven days. It was so in the seventh day that the battle was joined. And the children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. That's a lot of soldiers. But the rest fled to Aphek into the city, and there fell there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left. And Ben Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. And a servant said unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and our ropes ropes upon our heads, and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure he will save thy life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant Ben Hadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, is he yet alive? He's my brother. Wow. That's uh, uh, <laughs> strange stuff. See, Ben-Hadad's agents uh, waited on uh, Ahab, pleaded for his life, and, and uh, called Ahab's servant, indicating the position he was willing to take if he could live. And Ahab seemed surprised that he's still alive. So now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him, nor did they hastily catch it. And he said, Thy brother of Ben-Hadad. Well, then he said, Go ye, bring him. And Ben-Hadad came forth to him, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. So he's he's apparently uh, willing to receive him as a brother and not as a servant. And, uh, of course, he wasn't his real brother. He's in the spirit of the thing. And he had in mind a treaty of defense against Assyria. And uh, he, he see, they have a mutual enemy further um, east. So... Uh, these, these servants were trained in the technique of discerning the caprice of the royal will. <laughs> and when they, when they regarded the, the, the reaction of Ahab as a good omen, they grabbed it, of course. And he bound himself by oath to save Ben-Hadad's life. And, and so uh, this was not only a great injustice to his own subjects, but it was open opposition to God. They just won the battle, and for him to extend this was uh, you know, the God who foretold the victory. He delivered the enemy into his hands. Uh, there are scholars that feel that this was, you know, highly inappropriate in the, in the, in the idioms of the day. Ben-Hadad said unto him, The cities which my father took from thy father I will restore. And thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. So uh, so he, obviously Ben-Hadad was, was quick to placate his enemy. And uh, he uh, 
trade privileges back and forth. They formalized the treaty of non-aggression between them, and he went home. About three years later, it'll turn out that they will both face their mutual foe, Assyria, which will be led by King uh, Shalmaneser III. They will repel him at uh, Karkar on the Orontes River in Iran. Ahab will supply 10,000 troops, about 2,000 chariots for that coalition. This battle is not referred to in Scripture, but it is written by Shalmaneser that it has survived, and uh, it's now in the British Museum. So you can check the, the archaeological references for that background if you're interested. Let's move on. A certain man of the sons of the a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor in the word of the Lord, "Smite me, I pray thee." And the man refused to smite him. This is a weird little parable, sort of. That uh, you got to patiently go through. It's 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 a, it's a little strange. He's one of the son, the son of the prophets. He wants someone to wound him badly. For a purpose. Smite, I pray thee. And the man refused to do it. Then said he unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as he departed from him, a lion found him and slayed him. And he found another man. He said, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him. So that in the smiting he wounded him. That's what this young guy was after. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And the king passed by and cried unto the king. And he cried unto the king. And said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, Keep this man, if by any means he is missing, he sh- then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. A talent was a year's wage, by the way. And as thy servant was busy that here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said unto him, So shall thy judgment be. Thyself hast decided. So he sort of got the king to indict him for this apparent wrong. And he hastened and took the ashes away from his face, and the king of Israel discerned that he was one of the prophets. Uh Uh-oh. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. See, he let Ben-Hadad go, and he wasn't supposed to. And this was the prophet's rather dramatic way of making the king announce his own punishment. It's very analogous to what Nathan did to David. Remember how Nathan used a parable, had David decide, which turned out to be David deciding on his own fate. Remember? This prophet is doing a very, very parallel kind of thing here, in effect. And the king of Israel went away to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria, which of course is, is the capital. And uh, so, uh, strange stuff. And uh, chapter 21. This is an episode that occurs that you want to pay attention to because it is a key that will unlock a subtlety of the book of Revelation for you. So let's jump into chapter 21. It came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab the king of Samaria. Samaria is, by the way, an incredibly beautiful place, beautiful part of the country. This vineyard apparently was right next to or very near the palace, which is why Ahab really was, gets interested in this. And so Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, and I may give, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Now that seems very reasonable for the king. He's making him an offer. Either buy it to your cash, or I'll find you an equivalent one. I'd like it because it's near my house. Naboth said to Ahab, he's saying this to the king, gently of course, but he says, the Lord forbid it. The Lord forbid it me 
that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And uh, that is a scriptural uh, position. Because uh, the uh, in Leviticus 25, verse 23 to 28, and also Numbers 36, verse 7 and following, in obedience to the Mosaic law, he should refuse to sell his paternal inheritance. When they sold land, you often hear people saying, selling land, it wasn't really selling land, it was the right to the land for a while. It was what you and I would call a lease. They didn't sell land in fee simple. It was prohibited in the Torah. But that's what Ahab is asking for, and that's what Ahab is refusing to do in accordance with the Torah, by the way. But it's any, in any case his prerogative. So Ahab was a spoiled brat. In uh, verse 4 it says, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. So he laid him down upon his bed, and he turned away his face, and he wouldn't eat no bread. That's called pouting. He's upset. Aha. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? Send to her, because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Let me handle it. <laughs> Jezebel's wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thy heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she's going to take matters in her own hand. You'll understand why in the game of chess, the queen, not the king, is the most powerful piece on the board. So we'll move on here. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, in other words, with his official seal, in effect. Uh, Yeah, and she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed him with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast... And set Naboth on high among the people. In other words, in court. On high, is it's going to be at the city gate, but it's going to be an official conclave. And set two men, sons of Belial, liars in other words, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and king. And then carry him out and stone him that he may die. See, that was a capital crime. So he's got two of these guys, because it takes by two witnesses, someone to be accused, and they're going to tell a lie that's to make him guilty of a capital crime. And they're going to kill him. The men of the city, even the elders of the nobles who were inhabitants in the city, did as Jezebel sent to them, and as it was written in the letters which he had sent to them, and they proclaimed a fast, and set Naboth on high before the people. See, cursing God was a punishable crime um, among the, uh, the Jews, because in Leviticus 24, verse 16, it's also emphasized in John 10.33. And two witnesses were required according to Deuteronomy 17, verses 6 and 7. And obviously the leading men in Jezreel obviously feared Jezebel more than they feared the Lord because they carried her orders out exactly. And there are always men willing to sell their testimony for money and alter it for their own evil purposes. And you can compare that with the witnesses of the trial of Jesus in Matthew 20, 26. Proclaimed a fast that Naboth and high among the people. There came two men, children of Belial, or Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and king. They carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned, and he, and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, 
The Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, for he refused to give thee money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. It came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab arose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So there you have it. And uh, I'll come back to that before we're through. Let's see if we can get through the rest of the material, and then I'll come back and try to tie this together for you. There, there's some implications that go a little deeper. But anyway, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, uh, saying, Arise, go down to meet the, the Ahab, the king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. <laughs> thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast killed and also taken possession. Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity. I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and made Israel to sin." And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And him that dieth of Ahab in the city of the dog shall him that dieth of Ahab in the city of the the dog shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. For there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And uh, so this is uh, it's interesting that curse against Ahab is identical. To the, that was uttered against Jeroboam and uh, Basha back in chapter 14 and chapter 16. And remember what uh, Paul told us in Galatians. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, if you and I could speak with men of the past, um, God's men or Satan's men, they would tell us that it is an immutable law of God, it cannot be changed. Jacob found out the truth of that law. The Pharaoh of Egypt who, who killed the Hebrew boys, uh, that he thought he got caught with his crime that one day he found that his own firstborn was dead. David committed an awful sin but did not get by with it. The same thing came back to haunt him. Saul of Tarsus was the leader in the stoning of Stephen. But there came a day in Asia Minor, in Antioch of uh, Pisidia, that he was stoned and left for dead. The fact of the matter, he wasn't dead. God raised him from the dead. Many people think he actually died there anyway. And there's a judgment here pronounced upon Jezebel, as we've seen laid out. And... Uh, so Ahab's dynasty would be cut off just like Jeroboam's and Basha had been. And we'll see all that happen in 2 Kings chapter 9 when we get there. And as for Jezebel and the dogs eating her by the wall, that will also occur in 2 Kings 9. We'll see that in detail. And Ahab's descendants would not receive honorable burials. And we'll see that's also going to be Just as it happened in 1 Kings 14 and 16 to his predecessors. Um, and now the writer inserts his own assessment here in verse 25, an evaluation of Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel is uh, both bad news. He did very abominably in following idols according to all the things which the Amorites did, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and he put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. So... This uh, 
It, 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 I think there was probably sincere repentance here. It doesn't quite end that way. He's going to do some other things, but still, it looks like he, it, it got to him, it would seem. Verse 28, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring evil, bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Okay, we're down to the last chapter in the book of First Kings. And there it continued... Three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came town to the king of Israel. Now, uh, Jehoshaphat's one of the good guys, by the way. See, this is about fourth, for about three years after the battle of Aphek that we read about in verse chapter 20, there's no war. But now we have Ahab and Ben-Hadad, uh, uh, they uh, will have fought Shalmaneser in the battle of Karkar. That's not in the scripture, but we know from other histories. Ahab decided he needed to take the important city of Ramoth and Gilead from the Arameans who had taken it from Israel a year earlier. So the king of Israel said to his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and and we be we still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, that's the king of the south now, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses thy horses. I think it's a big mistake. He's making an alliance with the north. Uh, see, Ramoth was one of the chief cities in the tribe of Gad, about 28 miles east of the Jordan, about 15 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. It's almost directly across from Jezreel, in effect. So he needed, in order to make an army large enough, he wanted the king of the south, the king of Judah, to ally with him. It probably made sense for political reasons, but he should not have done so for spiritual reasons. He was a godly king faithful to the Lord, Jehoshaphat was. So what's happened that should cause a good king to make an alliance with a king as wicked as Ahab? Why should he fraternize with a natural enemy? It's abnormal, and, and, and it's going to be an unnatural confederacy. And we're, it, it, uh, see, at this point it seems strange, but we'll find out later that Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, had married Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Can you imagine what the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel might be like? And so Jehoshaphat's son is going to um, marry her, Athaliah, and she is going to be bad news. Here's a case of a, a boy with a godly heritage married with a, to, to a girl with a very wicked one. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Nussler, teaching through the book of 1 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.